All right, then. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Tony and Michael No Hissy Fit Zone podcast. No Hissy Fit Zone. So I, I, I see that you're wearing a winter jacket. What's going on, Michael? I got to tell you, winter showed up early in July here in Worcester. It's 55 degrees. Oh, my God. So It was 100 this past week, so I got to dress appropriate, you know. It's cold up here. I know. Last week, I was calling people up in Massachusetts saying, hey, if you want to get out of the heat, come to Florida. It was 100 degrees three days ago. That's, that's crazy, isn't it? Mm. Wow. All right. Enough of this. Props. I should because... Yeah, when it comes to props and stuff, I think we probably have to. I should let you be the. We we'll probably I let you be the humor. Say that again. Out. What? We need to iron a few things out. <laughs> like who's doing the jokes and who's not? Yeah. So, uh, no joke though. The uh, the bolts for the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Lightning, the hockey team, and the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. And they're beating the Canadians three to nothing, three games to nothing. You know, I have not followed this at all. Canadians are up three zip, three zip. No, the the Lightning is up three zip. Oh, well, that's good news for anybody in the Tampa area, or anybody in America for that reason, I suppose. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I'm so going to put that up. I'm, I'm, I'm homeland of the Bruins, so we got a lot of Montreal Canadian haters in this area who I'm sure are rooting for the lightning and excited. So they're up three, nothing. When's game, when's the, when's game four? Uh, this weekend. Tomorrow. I can look it up, but it's probably tomorrow or something. Maybe Monday. Wow. So here's the deal. I actually have some friends that are from Massachusetts and some that live in Florida that are big Canadian fans. And I, I never understand that. Really? Have you ever been uh, a fan of a team of something those from another state or from another country? I mean, uh, I don't know many Canadian fans in this area. It's a big rivalry of them and the Bruins. My goodness. So I have, um, everybody can be a fan of whatever team they want, but I just don't understand if you live in America and if you live in Florida, why would you be rooting for the Canadians? I mean, that's bullshit. That is total that is. bullshit. There's no question. It is. I'm just saying. Just my opinion. Nobody has to agree with me. It's my opinion, and the quicker they take my opinion as facts, the better off we'll be. We should iron some things out here. The better off they will be when they start listening to what I say. <laughs> so Michael was saying about my um, my coffee. I did a, a little... Um, You're supposed to wink and say, my coffee. My coffee. So um, <laughs> what do you call that, a public, public service announcement? Yeah, PSA. PSA, where I, I would say the people that work from home now because of COVID and they have to participate in these um, Zoom meetings with people at work, they don't want to do that and they want to be comfortable because if they're at home, I told them when you, when you have your coffee, it doesn't have to be coffee in there. It can be whatever you want it to be, your favorite ve- beverage. Except the only thing when you, what you do is um, when you go to take a sip of your coffee, you have to go like this. And your cocktail. <laughs> so everybody thinks you're, you got hot tea in there. He's just drinking coffee. Just drinking guys drinking hot tea. It's funny you mentioned the pandemic, and it feels like we are turning a corner on this, thankfully. I'm shaking hands with people on business appointments, and I'm literally saying, 
oh my gosh, we get to shake hands again. And I go like this. And then we, and I said, oh, thank God. So people are loving this. I'm in restaurants and yeah. no, other than going to certain, like I go to physical therapy and everyone's masked up in there because anything health related, but we've kind of turned a corner on this. I was reading, um, it was like an Instagram thing that they did about what were some of the things that got you through the pandemic or were, as you were finishing this up. This person was asking people to take pictures of items 15 at the time that were like their valuable things of the day. But what kept coming up were people's record albums, like 33rd record albums. And I was reminded, one person was saying like, I've started listening to albums again for the first time in decades because I can, why not? And it reminded me, I've got a friend of mine who just picked up a stereo system with a turntable and had been out record shopping. In fact, two weeks ago, there was, I forget the date, but there was like a record store national thing where people go out to the record store and there's there's one-time purchases they can make the day of that event. Wow. And I remember that I've got two cases of albums in my garage that haven't been touched forever. In fact, I don't have a stereo and a turntable, but I'm kind of anxious to get one and these businesses, I've got a, a friend acquaintance of mine named Joe who opened a business right on Main Street in Worcester called Joe's Albums. And it's like this incredible resurgence. And I started going through my box of albums and it was just, it was so fun to go through and see the, see the well, you know, what we've gotten away from is the artwork on CDs and God forbid we go all this digital stuff. There's no more visual aesthetic to music anymore. I guess that was probably started to be replaced with music videos in the eighties, but like to go through all record albums, it's, I, it was just, maybe, I mean, sure, I'm sure nostalgia was a big piece, but it was just so fun. And I'm going over to my friend's house uh, with a couple of albums under my arm to go listen to records together. I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. Do you have a turntable? Huh? Do you have a turntable on a stereo system? No, I, I had two or three cases of, um, albums a while back and I got rid of them so now I have a good friend that lives over in uh, the, the other side of Florida in the east coast I told you about him before he's very good with wordplay like if he's give him a word and he, he comes up with all kinds of stuff huh. like for example he'll one day he said to me hey see these <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like he uh, transplanted to the east coast of Florida from New Jersey perhaps we're gonna have a, we're gonna have him as a guest one time on, on this podcast because he's he's real funny and he's a great guy. So I are said to him, guests? are we doing guests on on the No Hissy Fit Zone? We might start that. Yeah, I don't know. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll try it out. So anyway, what's he, um, what's he willing to pay to get on the show? So I said to him that I had gone to the doctor for for my physical, and my doctor said, "How are you feeling?" I says, "Well, last Thursday, I swallowed an ice cube, and I haven't passed it yet." She goes, "What?" I had to repeat it again. She goes, well, it probably melted. I says, well, I don't know. You're the doctor. <laughs> but I told my friend that, you know, the one from, from Papano, John. And uh, I says, hey, man, I, I swallowed an ice cube and I haven't passed it yet. And he goes, I only have ice for you. <laughs> See these? See these? <laughs> By the way, you... You might like this one. Oh, we're back to Boston. Live, Jay Giles. 
Back to Boston. Recorded live. I wonder where that was. Probably somewhere in Boston. But this one is the best one right now. Oh, boy. Now we're back to central Massachusetts. Still face. That, so, picture was taken, that picture was taken right in Webster Square in Worcester, Mass. So a friend of mine asked me the other day how I got started in playing guitar and stuff. And I, I tell a story because I think it's really cool. But how did you get started playing the drums? You know, um, that's such a good question. I haven't answered this in so long. Fifth grade, uh, in the town I grew up in, fifth grade was the grade where you kind of have to pick an instrument. Ooh. And um, very few people were playing any music before fifth grade. And if they were, it was all done through home. In fact, one of my best friends, I met him in fifth grade, Joe. And when we met, he was already a guitar player and doing all this. And um, so, you know, it's concert band in elementary school. And uh, I should talk to my friend Chris about this. Chris is a retired music teacher. Um, and we went through school. This, I didn't know him in fifth grade. We met in junior high. But, um, you know, it was trumpets and saxophones and flutes and clarinets. And I'm like, drums seem cooler than those. So <laughs> I just started, I guess I was learning drums. And there was some, I guess, kind of, very basic rudimentary, oh. pun, no pun intended, rudimentary lessons with like the band leader. Um, but I guess I gravitated towards it pretty quickly um, because within a year of that, I was taking drum lessons. It was a famous, famous, it might be too, too strong a word. Uh, her name is Barbara Merjan, M-E-R-J-N. She was a drummer in the town I grew up in. And she was probably five or six years older than me. So when you're 10, that's like a huge number. But I say that today because she's a drummer on Broadway today. This is her career. Oh. And I remember riding my bike to get to her house for a drum lesson once a week. And she was on the other side of town. It was easily three or four miles from my house. Um, and, all, and all uphill. Both ways. Boom. <laughs> um, but I remember buying my first drum set. I was in sixth grade. So within a year, my parents, God bless them, my parents are like, yeah, we'll support this and buy you a drum set and make all that noise in the house. I mean, I look back now like, God, they were beautiful people. <laughs> but I can remember some details around this. It was, um, we used to have this thing called the penny saver, which was like a little yeah, I remember that, yeah. And it got delivered once a week and you go through the for sale section. And I found them in my town. And I remember driving out with my dad to look at them. They were pearl white, um, four-piece kit. Um, Rogers, I think was the name. I think it was $60, which was a fortune at the time. Um, what I didn't remember about this, my friend Joe reminded me, because I came to school the next day. The drum set came with a pair of drumsticks. Yeah, and I yeah. went to school the next day with the drumsticks. And that was how I was telling my friends, and Joe especially, I got this drum set. I don't remember the story he tells me. You had these drumsticks, and we all came up to look at your drum set. And so that's kind of how that happened. Huh. Very cool. So is that the Joe that I spoke to a couple times on the phone? Yes. Yeah, cool guy. I called, let's see here. Was I with you and we called Joe, or was I with Joe and we called you? I think it was with Joe and we called you to tell him, oh, it was the Beatles story. With your oh, buddy. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He called his brother, and oh my gosh, yeah, funny. So, um, I used to play soccer with the Blackstone Valley Soccer League, 
and we had a team that uh, kind of worked out of the uh, Portuguese club in Hudson, Mass. And so there's one year where there's two guys that came into the to play soccer with us that were new, and they just came over from the Azores, but they already spoke English, which was really interesting to me. Hmm. And they were really good soccer players. So when the season was over, we're hanging around. I said, what are we going to do now? We got no more soccer. So one of them said, somebody get me a piece of, piece of paper and a pen. So somebody got a piece of paper and a pen, and he says, uh, let me borrow your, your baseball cap there. And he wrote something on the paper, and he ripped up five pieces and crumpled it up and threw it in a hat. And he says, pick one. So I picked one, and I opened it up, and it said rhythm. And then uh, George Bragg opened his and said bass. Tony Shaves opened his and it said drums. My cousin John Laura opened his and it said keyboards. And then George, his brother, George, uh, opened his and it said lead. So I said, what's this for? He says, you guys, we're going to start a band. I says, who's going to start a band? He says, you guys are. He says, what the heck do we know about starting a band? He goes, well, I'm going to teach you. I says, what do you know about teaching us how to start a band? So at that point, Louis Betancourt said, I've been playing professionally since I was seven years old, and I've done this before. I can teach you guys to start a band, right? So we go up to the upstairs in the third floor of the Portuguese club where the husband used to rehearse, and he gives me a guitar, and he puts it on there and says, okay, put this finger on this string, this finger on this string, that finger on this string, and then strum it so that it doesn't mute the other strings. You have to be, all of them have to be ringing. And with my head was like killing me. So he's doing that with the drummer. He's teaching Tony how to do a basic drum beat. And he's teaching John how to do a two or three three chords or something on the keyboard. And George, his brother George Bettencourt already played a little bit, but not, you know, not a lot, but he played so well. We sat there for about two hours learning four chords, how to do a, D, a, a G and then how to go to a D and then an A minor and a C, that kind of stuff. So we're just playing these things. My hand was killing me and you know, it is when you first start. Yeah. But then uh, after about two hours, we actually knew how to change those chords. When he told us to change, we'd go from a G to a D, then to a D to a D minor, so on, G, D, C. So uh, he says, okay, now let's do this again. You guys seem to you have it. And he started singing, knocking on heaven's door while we were playing those chords. I'm like, what the heck? We're in the band, man. <laughs> On the first day, I was going to say by the end of the day you're playing smoke on the water, but yeah, I got it. And so Louis, who put the put the uh, pieces of paper in the hat? Uh, Louis Bettencourt. So what, um, what a mentorship! And look, I mean, imagine that mentorship within that family. My goodness. So the father one time we were rehearsing. This is after a while when we already played a little bit. And this, his father walked into the room. And there's five instruments going on. You know, we're all making noise. And he nodded at me, you know, like to say hi. Then he walks over to me and takes one of the tuning pegs on my guitar. You just tweaked it just a little bit. And he goes, I'm like, what the heck? How did he hear that? There's five instruments going. He knew that one of my strings was just a little out of tune. I'm like, how do you hear that stuff? So crazy, isn't it? I bet he's one of these guys with perfect pitch, just like. So at the time, Louis had a band that he, that he did the same thing with. He took four guys that never played and he taught them how to play. And they had a band called Venus Five. And so when they were doing a gig, we're supposed to play three songs in be, on their first break, right? So the first song was Jumpin' Jack Flash, and I was supposed to start with the intro, right? So um, he wanted to make a big deal about it, so he had all the lights out, and he's, you know, he had the stage lights that he was going to turn on when we start playing. So I'm supposed to start that part, and then when uh, everybody came in, the lights would go on, right. it was really cool. But it wasn't doing anything, so he comes up and says, what are you, what are you waiting for? He says, I can't see the guitar. <laughs> He says, oh, come on, man. So he took my hand and he put my hand where I was supposed to be on the, on the you know, eighth fret or whatever it was. 
I still couldn't see it. So I'm not, I said, no. So he had to go turn one of the lights on a little bit so I could start. And then when we all came in, the sunset went on. And all the people in the room, people that knew us, you know, were kids. We're like, uh, I think 17 or something, 16 years old. And uh, it was such a cool thing. I said, wow, this is so awesome. That's so fun. In the REM. Uh, great, great story. 45 years later, I'm still playing. Not as well as I used to, but I still play. Jumping Jack Flash. Oh yeah, I still play that. <laughs> is that it? Is that in your set list? That's a that's a crowd pleaser. It is a set. It's on a set list. Yeah, sometimes yeah, it's, we play it. In fact, your whole set list is a crowd pleaser. But you know that's important. What you got to do. That's so. Funny. Well, a lot of times people don't compliment us on how good we are, but they always say, "Man, you guys, your set list is amazing. You guys have you play really good songs." I said, "Yeah, you choose so, good songs." <laughs> we played at this place uh, three times uh, called uh, Sunset Beach in Tucker Springs, which is a little small island. Yeah, there's like a sort of a beach there, and then there's a, a covered patio area, whatever you want to call it. It's like an actual band shell or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're playing there, but while we're playing, the sun is setting behind us. Oh, so cool! And the last last time we played, there was over a thousand people there, according to the people that uh, that run it. And uh, there was a group of people. This is so cool. A group of people that were sitting on the, the to my right off the stage, and you know, always, every time we finish the song, they hey, like three of them say, Tony, Tony. I'm like, what the heck? We have two Tonys in the uh, in the band. It so must have come at the other one, right? This is kind of interesting. We have two Tonys in the band, but we have no Emmys. Just two No Emmys. <laughs> so uh, during the break, I went over to see what was going on, and there was like about 25 to 30 people that are, that are from my island, from the Azores. And a lot of them have known me for all these years. Wow. One of them was my godfather and his brother and stuff. So some of them have a, houses in Newport Richie, Florida, where they come here for the winter. Yeah. So I guess they saw on Facebook that we were playing this, so they showed up. It was like, there's at least 25, anywhere from 25 to 30, it's just so cool. So one of the guys says, man, Tony, you guys got a lot of people here. But I mean, we have nothing to do with it. The city of Tarpon Springs is the one that promotes that. The uh, right. sum, summer concert series, they do one every month, different band every month. And um, he says, man, you guys got a lot of people here. And I said, well, I don't mess around. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Like I was trying to take credit for us. I didn't. But that's it. the one. Actually, you're hired by the city. Hires you to play that, right? Yeah. And now, on Fourth of July, the, the same city is hiring us to play at a different place called Craig Park. It's got the picnic Fourth of July picnic thing. So we're gonna play in. Uh, but every time we play there, one of the things that 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 we have to do is play the national anthem when we start. We don't play that, so we have a good friend. Who plays saxophone is really really good. He plays in Adrian's other band, the Shake Society. So he comes out and does the thing on the saxophone. He's like really awesome, and the crowd goes nuts. And then we play and stuff. Wow, it's cool. Yeah, that's but, cool. This is so you guys. So you're playing that tomorrow. Yeah. So, uh, but the settlers, we have to go to the settlers and pick out some songs because um, it's a family thing. So there's some songs that might say something. You know, sometimes in the lyrics that. Uh, they don't want so we clean it up and family friendly gig yeah that's why we have no lyrics in our band well see so you, you, you can do that that's awesome we don't have to deal with that stuff we can play to anybody all the time <laughs> you know it's funny we were rehearsing the other night and we're anxious to kind of get out and i got cds out to a couple of local breweries we're trying to get some stuff and they don't know it yet but we'll we'll play for nothing we'll just throw us a few beers we're good you know we just want to play music for people right right so Barry, the bass player, says, I got kind of this decent sized side yard um, and laid into the grass. I discovered this with the power washer. I uncovered this old um, brick patio. 
don't know, 12 feet by 12 feet flat. And he says, we should just set up on the side yard and rehearse outside just to have some fun and change it up. I go, it's a great idea. You know, and on a decent, not a busy street, but it's kind of a cut through street. So there's a lot of traffic. And I go, we'll probably have some people honking and having some fun. Maybe we'll cause a couple of car accidents. This could be really cool. So he said, let's do it. And it was so funny because it was probably 10 minutes later when I realized, like, wait a minute, we should invite some people to this. Why not? And so we're doing it two weeks from today. Uh, we're just going to have a fun afternoon jam in the side yard. And I think I got 10 people have already responded saying, we'll be there. You know, I said, bring a lawn chair to drink. We'll have some fun. So you sent me the text with it. So that address is his, his house? Yeah, so I'm kind of expecting to be here. It's an important day. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll just be fun to get out and play, you know. Ironically, there is a really well-known craft brewery, and they're popping up everywhere in New England, right up the street from me. And uh, I've got an email into them. They have a CD of ours, and I haven't heard back. And um, when we're playing, they'll be within listening distance from us doing our thing. So maybe that will help awesome. I don't know, but we used to play at this Halloween block party every year. So whatever what they would do is one guy would hire us, and then all the neighbors would bring food. We had all these tables laid out in the front front lawn, and people would bring food and beer and love it, love it. So we'd play for a while, and then uh, one time there's a couple of, couple of girls there, probably in their early twenties. They got into a little bit of a beef, and they're pushing each other back and forth. And one of the neighbors is a cop, so he called the police because he didn't want to get involved himself. So four police cars showed up in the fire truck, right? And we just kept playing, you know. We're looking at the, they're out in the street, we just kept playing and stuff. And then they broke things up and then the police cars were coming by, but before they left, they'd stop in front of us where we were playing and they'd wave and we'd wave, you know, whatever. It was really cool. But the fun part of this is that my son, that was the first time we saw us playing live. Right. And he was there and he says, Dad, that was so cool. Go see a, a show that my father's playing at the police show up, five police cars in the fire station, fire truck. You guys never even stopped playing. I said, well, we're getting paid to play, buddy. <laughs> we're here to serve our audience, nobody else. Law enforcement, forget it. And then one time, I'll tell you this one more story, then we'll move on to something else. But we're playing at this um, private party at, at a house with a, with a pool. And, um, you know, it's supposed to stop loud music at 10 o'clock at night. So we happen to be playing... Breaking the Law by Judas Priest, right? And then the bass, the bass drummer's uh, wife comes over and says, hey, guys, guys, stop, stop. We really are breaking the law. The cops are outside to tell us that we need to shut down. So I said, well, tell them to come over here. You know, come talk, talk to us. I want, you know, I want to talk to them. So they came back and I said, uh, do we have to shut it down or just turn it down? He goes, well, you need to turn it down for sure because it's 10 o'clock and we had somebody called. So if you turn it down, then you'll be... So we were playing, but we were playing breaking the law and the police showed up while we were playing that. I mean, it's not one of those things that you can do. Uh, that's, that's when they told us to turn down, we all felt like. I think 10 o'clock is that cutoff. You reminded me, I've only had that happen once. I was playing in a cover band years ago. It was my first band kind of coming back to the drums. And um, we were playing this backyard party at a friend's house. Police showed up, shut it down. But it was like 10 o'clock. I think that's the noise ordinance thing. Yeah. Um, but what got funny, I was just sharing with the guy that I play in a band with now, the video of um, that extreme song, 
King of the Ladies, and they have oh, that are yeah, yeah. playing in the backyard. You know, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. At a house in Hudson, at the end, Kevin gets arrested. Hudson police show up and they arrest him. They handcuff him. <laughs> That's a great video. So I don't know the details on this, but we're we're gonna be playing. You know, three to six in the afternoon. That should be fine. Yeah, be respectful noise wise. I'd love to be there, mostly because I want to meet uh, Carlo and uh, the police. No, no. I want to meet your, your band, man. I'm going to listen to you guys play live. Yeah, be fun. So I'll, I'll keep you posted as to whether there's any. Um, actually, we'll probably record a podcast that morning, being a Saturday. Um, oh, that's funny. So, total transition, but you're talking about how Louie was helping you guys out and suddenly you didn't realize it, but you're playing a song. So, this past week, I have pulled the trigger and started on a lifelong dream of mine. Literally, it's been a dream for 35 years, which is to get my pilot's license and fly oh. engine airplanes. So I started with my very first, they call it like a discovery flight. It wasn't my first lesson, but I'm in this little plane with this instructor. Um, it was just, oh my God, you can imagine after 35 years of dreaming about this and pictures everywhere, I'm like, I'm doing this. So long story short, we get out to the edge of the runway, we're about to go up the runway, and we're talking on these headsets it's a little Cessna 172, tiny little plane. And he says, we're going to be rolling up the runway here. And I got to say something. And don't worry about that. When I say rotate, I want you to take this little steering wheel. It's called a yoke. And just pull it back slightly. And what you want to do is have the nose of the plane. Like if you just look over and see the nose of the plane, bring that up level with the tree line where the tree meets the sky. I go, okay, I can do that. <laughs> so we're doing this. And suddenly I realize I'm doing this. And what he didn't tell me was you're taking off. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm flying this plane. It was amazing. So um, it was fun. It was, I, was a little, uh, I was a little nervous through lots of this. But I guess that's like opening night jitters you get over. When we were all done, I said, I guess some of the stuff I was nervous about, I won't be as time goes on. And he said, oh, you won't be next time we go up. So oh. I started this thing and I've got my next eight lessons booked. And um Probably, I mean, it might be a little quick, but by Halloween, perhaps, but certainly Thanksgiving, I'm going to be a pilot. That's awesome. So I'm excited. I'm excited about it. So, you know, the Auto Trader magazine? Yeah. They also have a thing called Aero Trader, which is a, uh, airplanes. I've been picking that thing up for years and just looking through it. You know, people are shocked to find out how inexpensive you can buy a plane for. Now, yeah. you can spend a fortune also. And I was, I remember being surprised by how old, like you could buy a plane that was made when we were born. And then you think, isn't that unsafe? Cause I'm not buying a car that was made in the sixties. Cause they just, they just don't work anymore for the most part, but planes have to go through these annual inspections and inspections based on how many hours you're flying. And so they're in perfect condition, no matter how old they are. The plane we were just flying in was, I think it was in the, it was, I think it was seventies, seventies or early eighties. So, um, but yeah, Aero Trader, you can buy a plane for the cost of like a nice automobile. So I worked for Aero Trader for four years. You did? Yeah, selling advertising. And uh, we went to Palm Springs to AOPA, which is the airline yeah. owner of uh, Pilot Association or something. Yeah, yeah. So we were working the trade show because, you know, we had a booth there with the magazine. And then uh, one of the guys I went with, Bruce, had been a pilot for years. He's, he's got uh, 
all kinds of licenses. You can buy the big jets and the whole deal. So he rented a Cessna 152. Tiny. He went to because he wanted to show me something. There's a place over there, you start of Palm Springs, California, called the Salton Sea, which is a lake in the middle of the desert that has salt water. Wow. And when his dad, the, during the war, his dad used to fly a, a fire, 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 what do you call those planes? The, the ones that shoot the fire? The, oh, the ones that, when they drop the water? They drop, no, they drop um, bullets. I mean, bombs and stuff. He was a firefighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he went to show me what that was. So he, we're, we're flying into this thing and he takes a cigarette out of his pocket and he puts it on, on the dash of the plane and says, check this out. And he lifted it and then he dropped it and the, the cigarette started flying, you know, started floating. And he caught it in his mouth. He says, but I was feeling kind of queasy with that because it, it felt weird, you know. So he let me mess with it for a little bit. And then we're coming down towards, he went to show me what his father used to do because he used to practice diving into the lake to drop the bombs. So that's what my father used to do. So when he did that, I was like, you know, we're going straight down now. And I was like, whoa. But there was some ducks or something that flew out of the, out of the water when we were coming down. And he says, oh, shit. And he took a, took a turn real quick and went the other way. So it was the If one of those things hits one of our, uh, hits our prop, we're done. So I said, wow, thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> so, so is the duck, by the way. <laughs> so he was so cool. So when, when we came to, we're, we're trying to land, now it's time to land. He wanted me to reach the camera that he had in the back seat, but I couldn't reach it because of course. So he reaches behind me, grabs the camera, and he's filming while he's landing, you know, one-handed and filming, right? And I'm like, what the heck are we doing here? I didn't know how, how good he was at this stuff. And sure enough, he landed with one hand and it was so cool. It was like a really good experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was... Um... <laughs> I was nervous a couple, I think what they do with this flight, this discovery flight, this is what they have people do first to see, because a lot of people walk away from that going, yeah, this is not for me. Right, right, yeah. So he says, so he said, I'm gonna do a steep turn. And I'm like, I kind of reached down and hold my seat like, okay, you know, and it was, and he banked to the left and I'm on his left. Now I'm down below him. And I'm looking out the window directly to my, you know, my, my door window. And when I looked out, I'm looking directly down at the ground. That was the, how steep this turn was. Then he went the other way. I was pretty comfortable with it. But I think their thinking is, let's see if we can scare these people out. Like, how committed are they to this, right? Um, and then there's this thing I've been so scared of for years called the stall. So a plane, oh, yeah, yeah. single-engine planes work because you've got enough airspeed under the wing to keep it lifted aloft. And if you get to too slow a speed, there's not enough wind current to keep, and you'll stall and just drop. And he goes, okay, we're gonna do a stall. And that's when I said to him, okay, I've known about this for a long time, this scares me. He goes, oh, this is nothing. Sure enough, it really was nothing. But he slowed this thing so far down. And a lot of my nervousness was, it feels like you're about to just drop out of the sky. Yeah. When you have no enough, when you don't have enough airspeed to keep you aloft, you start to drop. And all you do is drop the nose because that brings you it brings speed and you're back. And it was, it really was nothing. But I remember being scared of something and what I created in my mind to be. And the reality was, it wasn't. Of course, there's a whole lesson there for life because that's most of what we do anyway. But it was fun. Cool. you, man. It was fun. So, yeah, I got my next lesson on Friday, the July 16th. And I'll start there and I'll keep you apprised of the situation. And so maybe we'll be doing, we'll recording my half of the, of the podcast from the air. Wow. So uh, 
that thing with the turn that reminded me of uh, I used to do a COD turn back in the 70s in my car. I don't know if you remember those. A what? A COD turn? No. You know, I wish you used to the, the that stuff with the with the vinyl seats. Yeah. It was that stuff we put on to make them shiny, but it also made them slippery. <laughs> so in the seventies, if, if you taking a girl for for a date, you make sure you had enough of that stuff on the seats, and then uh, you put your your arm over the seat like this because it was a bench seat all the time. It was those all the cars. Turn to the right. Take a sharp right. And all of a sudden, she slides over. So it's a COD turn. Come on over there. She slides over right under your arm, so you say, oh, I got you. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> um, and then you say to her, you're being awfully aggressive, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> COD turn. I never got slapped with that one either. It, was, it always worked. <laughs> it always worked. And then came the bucket seats. Oh, So how long does it take before you can be uh, officially a pilot? So uh, in terms of flight time, for every two hour lesson I take, there's about an hour and a half of flight time. You're required to have 40 hours minimum. And most people are closer to 60 or 70, depends on the student. Um, I was really surprised to find out how early in that process you actually solo and fly by yourself. And he's like, oh yeah. He goes, when I figure out that you've got this and we're just kind of landing and taking off again and doing some of these, I'm going to let you, I'm, I'm going to basically have you, I'm going to step out of the airplane and say to you, yeah, go do three of those and walk away. I'm like, oh. really? He goes, oh yeah. I'm like, okay. So there's a place in Newport Richie that's a, a community. That's a small airport. Mm. People fly in and then they taxi their little plane right into their house. They have a hangar attached to the house. Yeah. So we played there one time for a birthday party. It was so cool. Really? Yeah. Big house, like. 8,600 square feet, and they had the big hangar with a little plane inside there. Wow. And the lady that... Uh, flying communities, flying neighborhoods. That's kind of cool. The lady that um, owned the house liked every song that we played, and she thought we were really cool and those stuff. And she, she asked if we had a tambourine, so we happened to have one. And she was out dancing with the tambourine all night long and stuff. So the next day, she called me up and said, Tony, you guys were so awesome, but I, I'm going to sue you. I said, sue me for what? She goes... Well, my hands killed me from using that tambourine all night long. She probably had bruises on her palm. So I found this um, meme with a girl uh, hitting the tambourine and it said, just whatever you rock and, rock and roll been once. Um, something about a white woman, American, white American woman with a tambourine or something like that. It was just, so I said that to her, <laughs> she thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's funny. I was thinking about how these planes can be old, but they get inspected so they're safe. And it made me think of this craziness down in Miami with this condo building collapsing. Oh, my, I saw a picture of it this morning for the first time because I can't, I've been listening, you know, to news things about it. And I'm like, yeah. taking so long, you know, but I mean, every, it's, it's such a, you know, and now they have to stop the. Uh, there's like 15 confirmed dead, but there's still 140 or 50 missing, and there's, there's a, it's just like a little pile of like, oh my god. And they they can't continue anymore because there's there's some evidence that there might be uh, another pillar that's going to drop and the, the building could, could topple over again. And I guess it's the building next to it that they already evacuated. That's so crazy. This morning there was another one nearby that they did evacuate. Um, and every 40 years, I think they have to go through these major inspections of these buildings because uh, apparently the salt water can 
caused damage to the concrete. So there was a building that was inspected in 2015, I think, or 17, but a few, handful of years ago that was determined to be structurally unsafe. Wow. Years ago, and it wasn't evacuated till this week because of what happened at the Champlain Town. So I'm like, my goodness, this is crazy. So you said the inspection is like every 40 years? I've heard it was 40, but I'm not sure of that. Yeah. Well, so, you know, Terry and I have been married 43 years, and she's doing the inspection on me now. Yeah, so structurally unsafe. How's that going, by the way? I've, been, I've heard that cash bribes can sometimes be effective in those transactions. You know, the guy that told you, Bruce, that the flu... We went for that flight in uh, Palm Springs. Yeah. He said that, unfortunately, the small planes, the ones that have the most uh, crashes or whatever, are people that are professionals, that are really successful at what they've done, the doctors or lawyers, whatever, very successful. Yeah. And they decide to get a plane and they, you know, get their license. But they don't take it seriously because they already succeeded so long, so much, that they don't take it too seriously. And that's sometimes why they crash. They don't really pay attention to what they're doing. I don't know if that's a... There's a TV show that I love. It's hard to find. It's called Why Planes Crash. Uh, it's often, I, I'll catch it on like a weather channel sometimes. You can find them all on YouTube. And they're like half hour, but they really go into the synopsis of an actual plane and then NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board gets involved. And so I find it incredibly educational, but people who know me and know I've been wanting to fly can't imagine that wide planes crash is a favorite show of mine but you learn so much and in every case i shouldn't say every but in 99.9 it's always pilot error and That's what you're saying, yeah. I, I think you can learn a lot from that and part of that pilot error becomes uh, it can be an ego thing like i should be this is just beyond where i am as a pilot but i think i can pull this off and the ego supports that um there's a term that's made up, but you get it. It's called get there-itis, meaning I have to get to my destination. Maybe the weather conditions aren't perfect, but I have to get there. And this is the stuff that has people making these mistakes that, you know, the compound effect, that book written by Darren Hardy. Have you read the compound effect? No. Anybody in business needs to read this book, but it's about little decisions we make every day that will either get us to success down the road or failure down the road. It's all our daily habit, you know, our daily routine. And so suddenly you're in a flight where you've made, you've compounded a couple of mistakes and then it's too late. And you're in a situation you can't get out of. Um, yeah. It's crazy. So you told me that, you know, you can do a, a single prop plane, this, you know, small one. But if you do the, the, the dual plane, the dual props on each side, you have to learn how to shut one engine off because now mm -hmm. the plane wants to do this stuff. Right. And you have to, you have to know how to, adjust for it to, to you know maneuver that way he said that's a tough thing. yeah yeah that's many ratings from where i am currently at <laughs> so years ago when i started real estate i had a, a friend that uh, was a mortgage broker and i used to do a lot of my mortgages for my clients through him and he had a plane and he, he had a license and he asked me if i wanted to go for a ride with him one day from tampa to, to daytona beach and because i had worked at um as Aerotrade, I know a little bit about it. So I said, are you IFR or VFR? He goes, oh, VFR. I says, what happens if it rains or something? He says, well, I just follow I-4 from Tampa all the way over to Daytona. 
I said, what if it starts raining? You can't see the road. He says, oh, we'll figure it out. I says, no, I'm not going. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Ding. There's something about him. I just didn't trust. I didn't want to get in this plane. If you know what I mean? Because he it's wasn't. A I've, been asking, I've been asking people kind of like, you know, you're going to fly with me? And most are like, yeah. And I always say, I would never even ask you to, until I am completely, which is way past my certification. Right, right, right. You'll love this story. So my dad um, got some great response, by the way, on last week's uh, podcast. But my sweet dad, um, when I was asking him about, hey, so I'm going to be doing this. Are you going to fly with me? And before I could get the sentence out, he's like, no. <laughs> I said, and I was like, what? Come on. And he goes, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I was so shocked. Like, you're like, you're Mr. Supportive. So I'm telling this story to Lynn few weeks after this and uh he had passed away by then and so i'm telling her this story and i love her response because it was first of all really funny but also she knew me well enough to know that it was going to be funny for me so i'm telling the story she says boy some people do anything to get out of flying with you whoa (laughs) (laughs) i said that's it i'm going to bring his ashes in the urn and bring him up with me whoa (laughs) i'll teach that guy Oh. Yeah, I love that podcast. I watched it a couple of times that we did last one because you're talking about your dad and I was just a uh, sweet, sweet man and stuff. It was a beautiful tribute to a beautiful man. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 95 years old, I mean, he lived a pretty good life. A long life. Quite a legacy. Yeah. Quite a legacy, yeah. Yesterday uh, was my parents' wedding anniversary, actually. So I posted something on Facebook with a picture of them on their wedding day. I saw that, yeah. I just had this visual of the two of them back together again, dressed just like that, and like skipping through this field. So I kind of put that out there. Yes, it was funny. So good stuff. So uh, when Terry and I got married 43 years ago, she wasn't a great cook. I mean, she's a great cook now, but she wasn't that great back then. And I love uh, oven oven roasted chicken, oven roasted chicken. So she was making one for me. So she said, check the chicken. So I opened the oven, there's two chickens in there, a big one and a small one. She said, Terry, how can we get two chickens in there? There's only two of us, we don't need two chickens. She goes, duh, when the small one is burnt, the big one's ready. <laughs> duh. duh. <laughs> that might be my favorite part of the whole joke, duh. <laughs> I can see her saying duh. when the small one is burnt, the big one's ready. I could see her say that too. That's hysterical. That's awesome. So your agenda for today? What are you, are you guys rehearsing for tomorrow's gig? Or are you ready to go? No, we rehearsed Wednesday. We're ready to go. You're packing up. You're getting ready. What do you got going on later on? Um, I don't know if I have anything going on or not. Just I need to set up for tomorrow because I need to get uh, charge all my batteries for my video camera. Nice. For my wireless system on the on the guitar. So I don't I don't want the cords. Tripping me up or nothing. Oh, God. That reminds me of that scene from Spinal Tap when Nigel Tufnell is being interviewed and showing him his wireless pickup. And... Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that part. Yeah, he's talking about being able to run around and my wireless. And oh, God. that's funny. But how's, the weather there? how's the weather in Tampa today? Perfect. Nice. We got uh, rain at 55 degrees. And so, what I'm going to do. 
It's getting ready to go back out there. Oh. I got some stuff I got to do in the garden. So See, right now it's 81 degrees here. On our exit here, I'm going to get ready for it. Really? Is it that cold? Well, no, but it's a prop for the show. And I'm hoping to get a couple of laughs, to be honest. <laughs> Thanks for calling me out. Duh. Duh. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's too funny, man. All right. What are you doing this afternoon? Um, well, I really am getting ready to go outside. Yeah, you're zipping up. Obviously, you're ready to go. And I'm planting a garden. I'm actually transplanting some stuff, and it's cooled off enough to be able to transplant. Nice. I sound like a gardener. I'm just really a manual laborer who works in the dirt. But Oh, manual laborer. You're Mexican? Manual laborer. You're Mexican? <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friends. Another good one. Okay, let's see. Sometimes when I do this, it, 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 uh, the sound cuts out. Let's see if it's okay. I finally figured that thing out, and now you cut off my beat. Let's go. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> see you next time. You, this, this thing should be on bloopers and uh, what's it called? <laughs> wow. Loopers and practical jokes. Too much, huh? Good gig tomorrow. Enjoy it. Thank you. So we, we got to be there at 9 o'clock to, to unload. We have to be unloaded and set up for 10, even though we start playing at 11. We have these rules. Of course. So uh, I got to get up at uh, 4.30 or something. No. 4.30. No, just kidding. You got to abide by the rules because you can't be breaking the law. Ouch. See what I did there? It was good. So, you know, we've been playing stuff like um, Come As You Are. Mm -hmm. That one up because it's, it's somebody says, I swear we don't have a gun. I don't have a gun or whatever. So we can't do that song, you know. Oh. See, we have to be careful with what the lyrics are. It was very sensitive. Very sensitive today. Yeah. That, that pendulum has swung all the way. Everyone's very sensitive. Let me tell you about my rights. Oof. Interesting times. So you got to edit your set list to be appropriate. Yeah, which is okay. Well, you wouldn't be a rock band if you didn't. So. <laughs> kind of like that. So the one time that we were playing at the, at the Sunshine Sunset Beach, where all my buddies were there from the Youngs were there, one of my cousins was in town, and she said, hey, we're going to go watch you guys um, play, but um, my, my daughter has watched some of your videos. She said that you're really good, but I really don't like hard rock, so I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I'm going to go over there anyway and be nice, and if I don't like it, I'll leave. So she went and she said after the show, she goes, oh, my God, every single song you guys played, I love. I said, yeah, we're not hard rock. We're classic rock. Oh. Right? I mean, that's. I would agree. Yeah, so she loved every song that we played. And most people always say, wow, you guys have a good selection of songs. I think that's key. If they're, they're not there for us. They're there to hear the songs that they're familiar with. Right. And um, one guy told me a couple, a couple of times when we played, um, he said to me, hey, listen. I'm a guitar player. I says, oh, cool. He says, I want to tell you something. The way you play your leads, I don't know how you do that, but you don't play the original lead on any song. You just do your own thing, but it sounds like you're playing the, the original lead. I said, well, that's because people know the song, so they hear what they know is supposed to be there. Right. I, play it exactly. I, I never tried to learn the lead note for note. 
I just kind of play what I think kind of fits. And he, he complimented me on that. I says, wow. This guy and, the, and the audience says the rest. That's amazing. I said, this guy obviously drank more beers than I thought he did. <laughs> All right, Mike. We're, uh, we're good for today, buddy. That was good. Have fun. We took, tomorrow. Happy 4th. Again, we took uh, no subject to talk about and talked about it for almost an hour. This is good. Good, good, good. Happy Independence Day to you, my friend, and everybody out there watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk soon. Okay, buddy. Take care.